0: And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, Kingstown Communion.net. The took my love and I took it down. Climbed a mountain and I turned around and I saw my reflection in the snow covered hills till the landslide brought me down. So friends, we are in a series right now called This Is Us, and we're we're putting to work this, this tool called the Enneagram putting it to work in our lives. At its core, this series is really just about relationship. I I don't care who you are, I don't care how old you are, how young you are. Relationships are hard. It is, it's hard for me to be me and to have a a core set of, of values and beliefs and way of relating in the world and And it's, I know it's hard for you to be you and to have your own core set of values and beliefs and desires and motivations and ways of relating in the world, it's, it's hard to be us, but, but this is us. We were made by a relational God for relationship. That is who we are. And we can't run from it, we can't hide from it, this is us. Relationships are hard, and with all that is, is going on in, in our country right now, what's ahead in the next couple of weeks, or the fear of what's ahead in the next couple of weeks, and the culmination and terror of, of all that's been happening for the last four years that unfolded just 10 to 15 miles away from us, relationships got even harder this week and and we we all would wish that that we wouldn't have to be in this kind of hardship of relationship. I mean, wouldn't it wouldn't driving on the beltway be easier if we were the only one driving on it, right? That's how relationships are. Relationships are easy when you're all by yourself. They're easy when, when everyone on your newsfeed agrees with you. That's what we do, right? We're, we're struggling in, in almost every area of our life. Right now in the midst of this pandemic, we're more relationally disconnected than we've ever been. And yet, we're we're eliminating relationships from our lives or the prospect of relationships from our lives or we're we're eliminating the prospect of healthy romantic relationships, we're eliminating family members, we're eliminating good relationships at work and we're, we're cocooning ourselves with technology and forsaking meaningful connection. And so if we, if we want to be in real meaningful relationships, we're going to have to learn how to navigate conflict. Because where there is more than one person anywhere, there will be conflict. I wonder how many of you have been in some kind of conflict with someone this week. Or if, this, if it's not this week, when, when was the last time? When was the last time you had conflict with someone? If you're married, maybe it happened just this morning. And now you're you've like wrangled them to sit on the couch next to you and they're fuming mad, but you think they need Jesus, right? If you're single... What's, what's one of the most important things you never talk about? (laughs) Never talk about when you start dating someone, how to handle conflict. I remember being single, like we lie, single people lie. We are never going to fight. We love all the same things. Those are lies. Pay pay attention to the vows at a wedding. They're beautiful. Oh, the kinds of things we want to say while gazing into the eyes of the person we love. But they're not realistic. We all are going to break them. They're not realistic. Sometimes Chris and I joke that we're going to create our own vows. Something that goes a, a little bit more like this. I vow that I will act like I care about what you're saying. (laughs) And I will do my very best to hang in there as long as I can. Like those are real vows, right? (laughs) Those, those I can live up to. But, but the longer, the longer you're in relationship with anyone, the longer you're in relationship with someone, the more conflict you are going to have. And this is why, Relationships are hard. The longer you know someone, the more real you're going to get. And so when it gets real, we have a tendency to, to change spouses or change jobs or change friends or leave churches. And we allow these seismic relation, relationship chasms to emerge in our families because we don't know how to deal with conflict. We don't know who we are and how we deal with conflict and we don't know how to deal with conflict. But the Bible, friends, has so much to say on conflict. Did you know that? The Bible is full of conflict. And let me just say this, the the reason we don't know how to deal with conflict is because conflict has never been fun, ever. So even if you have convinced yourself, you know, I don't mind a little conflict. The the reality is that we all do one of two things in conflict. We blow up or we stuff it for later, right? You take it out on others or you take it out on your pants. You take it out on others or you take it out on yourself and allow it to gnaw at you and eat away at you. That's what we do. Because when we get conflicted, we get, we get aggressive and we get upset and and we've got to do something about that aggression, about that angst that is within us. Now I know, I know some of you grew up in homes where conflict was rampant. Your mom and dad, they fought, and it wasn't just fighting, it was like this explosive thing, and it was scary. And some of you grew up in homes where they acted like nothing ever went wrong. And then one day, out of the blue, they get divorced, and everyone's super confused by it. Like, what happened? You never fought. And so it doesn't matter where you are today, which history of conflict you were raised in, conflict is is not fun. We're lying if we say that we think it is. And, And the Bible has a lot to say on it. The Bible warns us about conflict. Did you know that? In the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, Lady Wisdom, or or some call this speaker actually Sophia, God's spirit, long before the spirit descended in Acts, God's spirit in Proverbs says, better a dry crust of bread eaten in peace, than a house full of bread feasting in conflict. This is what scripture says, that that you would be better off in a corner eating stale, tasteless, gluten-free, falls apart in your fingers before it even gets to your mouth, just crumbles kind of bread, then a a room with a lavish feast and fighting. This is what happens in, in relationships, right? When we get to a point where we're tired of the fighting, We're tired of hashing it out. We're tired of not seeing eye to eye. And so we're out. Why not instead of running away, why not learn how to have conflict? Why not learn how to fight fair? In fact, if you are, are, are beginning a relationship with someone, if you are maybe dating someone right now, I would encourage you to find somebody to talk to. Maybe go see a counselor. If you are in a marriage, I would encourage you, go find somebody to talk to, see a counselor. If you have never talked about how and why you fight, I would go find somebody to talk to and see a counselor because we have got to learn how to fight. We have to learn how to disagree. This is the world that we live in, right? This is where politics is right now. This is where communities are. This is where the church is. We don't know what to do when someone doesn't see the world the way we do. And God forbid your pastor not see the world the way you do. Instead, what we say is, I need a new marriage. I need a new church. I need new friends. I need a new job. I'm out. I'm out of here. Conflict is never fun. Let me say this. Most conflict, most, scripture says, should be avoided. It should be. You don't need to fight with everyone. Stop. If if you're going to spend your life giving everybody a piece of your mind all the time, you're not going to have much mind left. Most conflicts should be avoided, Scripture says. This is the way of Jesus. This is how God has called us into relationship. This is who God has called us to be. Hear these words in Scripture. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If you live life waiting for everyone else to change, you're going to be miserable. If it's possible live at peace with everyone. You know, you know what that means, do you? It means it means we're gonna have to get some thicker skin and we've gotta be able to deal with people offending us, be able to process our offense. We've gotta be able to cope with someone ruffling our feathers because it's gonna happen all the time. It's, it's super easy to get offended, right? It's, it's easy to get upset. It's harder. It's so much harder to pause and to assume the best in someone and cope with your ruffled feathers and move on. But some conflict, some conflict is unavoidable. I don't care how much you love someone. At some point you're going to disagree on something. And if you, if you don't believe me, just like go to a Costco on really uh, any given Saturday and watch the conflict just building down aisle four with the mom and two kids and down aisle five with the couple who really should not be shopping together while they're hangry and watch the conversations over, over the, the shopping carts on on what should and should not go in the cart, right? Seriously, they should have like marriage counseling at Costco should be like another tier of membership, right? <laughs> some conflicts are totally unavoidable. Scripture actually says that. Some conflicts are unavoidable after some time, which brings us to our, our, our New Testament reading today. Did you hear it as Joy read it for us from Acts? It says that, that after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, These guys are actually friends. I don't know if you know that. They're friends. They've been friends for a long time. At this point, probably over a decade-long friendship. And it says, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit that city where we had preached. That city where we, we had preached the gospel to see how the new believers are doing there. Let's go back. And you think, like, what could possibly go wrong in this scenario. They both love each other. They both love God. They both love doing God's work. (laughs) Guess what? You can love God, you can love each other, and you can love doing God's work, and you can still fight like hell. Christians can disagree. Couples who love each other and who love God can disagree. Best friends who have been together forever, who were roommates in college. (laughs) You were in each other's wedding. You can disagree. Parents and their children can surely disagree. Some conflict is unavoidable. And so Paul says, let's go back to the city where we preached. And Paul and Barnabas agreed on this. So they're on the same page. But, but but, Barnabas, he wanted to take John, John Mark, did you read that? I'm going to take John Mark along. Now you're probably thinking, I don't know who John Mark is. But if, if you've ever read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark, whose name is actually John Mark, that's him, he wrote the Gospel of Mark. And so you do know him. John Mark He's this younger guy, and Barnabas wants to take him along on this journey back to the cities where they preach the gospel, and it says Paul completely disagreed. In fact, it, he disagreed so strongly. It says that they, they had an argument about it. Paul disagreed since John Mark had, had deserted them in Pamphylia, and had not continued with them in their work. You know what Paul says? Paul says, little Mark, he is a flake. <laughs> he bailed on us. He bailed on us right when we needed him. Like, we cannot count on Mark. We can't count on him. And it says that their disagreement, this disagreement, this argument between Paul and Barnabas was so sharp that in the end they, they had to part ways. Did you know this about the Bible? Did you know this was in the Bible? this is it's one of those stories in the early church that that Luke, the writer of Acts, insisted on including like why? it's one of it's one of the ways we know that the Bible is is true and offers us truth, right? It's real because if If the Bible wanted us to just believe a a list of lies, why the heck would they put stuff like this in it? Three of the most important characters in all of the New Testament, the ancient apostles to whom we trace back this long history of apostolic secession are fighting and losing their minds, losing their cool and allowing their offenses to fracture the early church. The writers like Luke and and John Mark and Paul who recorded the early history of Christian faith, they recorded wrong things too. They, They recorded relationships that was not healthy too. So that, so that we might believe that which is right and good and perfect and true. They wanted us to know, hey, sometimes I I don't practice what I preach. Sometimes I do the wrong thing. Sometimes Sometimes I take offense. Sometimes I don't cope with my ruffled feathers the way I should and I forsake the call that call from God as much as it is possible. Live at peace with your neighbor, and this is when I, I turn from speaking from the point of view of John, Mark, and Paul and Barnabas, and and I speak from the very heart of who I am. Sometimes I don't live up to my sermons. Sometimes what I preach on Sunday is, is the very thing that I need to hear. in fact, I would, I would say that the, the sign of an authentic sermon is that it is, it's not just what the congregation needs to hear. It's what the pastor needs to hear. The apostle Paul doesn't live up in this moment to what he taught us to do, but thank God, thank God, we're not taught to worship Paul. We worship Jesus. There's, there is only one who ever gets it right, friends. It says their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. About four years ago now, Chris and I had an argument that we just, we just couldn't shake. I wonder if you've ever had like one one of those kind of fights where you're like, I just don't know how we're going to fix this. The person you love is in their camp and you're in your camp and you're like, I just don't know how we're going to ever resolve this. It's broken. And we, I was pretty hopeless and Chris was pretty hopeless because like, he he kept saying "Michelle, I just can't do this anymore." And and so I started to go to counseling. I needed to figure out what the heck was wrong with me and what the heck was wrong with him and what the heck was wrong with us. And it was it was in that experience where I was introduced to this tool called the Enneagram. That really helps you to see yourself and each other in this whole new way. I began to have these epiphanies. Oh, oh, we're different. Oh, we see things differently. Oh, we don't process things the same way. And we're not supposed to. Oh, oh, we have different values and different families and different personalities. Ah. And, and in conflict, I, I get a little excited. Chris is always asking me to turn it down, turn down the volume, to tone it down a bit. I'm like, have you met me? I'm a fairly passionate person. And, and it was in this moment in our relationship the Enneagram helped us deal with and cope with our conflict. And it, it was explained to us, hey, you, you perceive the world in, in one of three ways. Through your instinct through your heart or through or through your head through the gut the heart or the head and so let's let's talk today about the enneagram and 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 about conflict okay in conflict the 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 gut triad that's the the eight the nine and the one they they don't think about it they don't feel it, they just do it. The gut triad, they, they process conflict instinctually. They, they don't think about it, they just do it, they just react. And, and, and the eights, the nines, and the ones, they want justice. They want justice, and in the name of justice, they may kill you. People in the gut triad are unaware of their emotional struggle with anger. A person in the gut triad could could yell at you. I'm not angry. You're ridiculous. They're completely unaware of their anger and how it affects and impacts the rest of us. When a person from the instinctual triad is, is fighting. We all want out. Like that chick's crazy but they're not crazy. They're just emoting the way that God made them. We're, so so the, the instinctual triad, they're unaware of their emotional struggle with anger and its effects on others. Whether you're an eight or a nine or a one, you don't see your anger, but others do. Oh, others do. So let's talk about the eight. The eight is the challenger. Some of you are, are raising one of these little challengers right now. They they came out of the chute angry. I'm here and things are going to change. <laughs> Listen to me, parents. If you are raising an eight, you better get some thicker skin and wise up because when, when that two-year-old says they've had enough, they mean it. When you're raising a child that's an eight, you... You have to rise up to your level or they are going to crush you. An eight is, is aggressive. You don't ever have to tell an eight to to toughen up or get more aggressive. You have to tell an eight to chill the freak out. Chill out. Like this is soccer, sweetie, not football. And eights are, are not bothered by conflict at all. You, You know, you know what I love about an eight though? Eights don't gossip behind your back. They tell you straight to your face what they think of you. All the other numbers go talk behind your back, all of them, all, other, all the other eight numbers. But, but the eight, they come right to you. Eights are like, I don't like you. And you know eights also, they, they, don't, they don't care if you talk behind their back because they generally don't care what you think of them. They're not bothered by conflict. They're really not bothered by conflict at all. Listen to me, don't don't judge an eight's heart by the volume of their mouth. Listen to me, don't don't judge an eight's heart by the volume of their mouth. You know, you know when an eight walks in the room. If if you're married to an eight or caring for a parent who is an eight or raising a little eight in your household, you're going to have to learn how to stand your ground with them because because that's what they need. If your little eight says, I'm not going to bed, you you poke them right in the middle of their chest and you say, yes, you are. You let them know that you are stronger <laughs>